Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. Uh, it is 11-28-2021. We're continuing our worship service, and we will continue with the thought of the week and prayer. As thought of the week, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We are certainly, certainly not like God. We are separated from his holiness by a nature which produced the most offensive and vile behavior. What is worse, we don't realize we are offensive to God. One result of this is we may not pay close attention to God's attitude and solutions for our problems. But this is the case, we will not respond properly to God since we may still have our own ideas of simpleness and depend on human solutions. Human solutions are no solutions at all. Just they are made in the dark. God is the only one who can tell us what satisfies his person's perfect righteousness. Therefore, we must look aside about the supposed solutions, the ones that seem right to us, and see God's accurate view of sin and judgment. With the way some, with the way some conduct themselves, you would think their standards of righteousness are higher than God, although no one admit, no one would admit to this. They demonstrate this by ridiculing God's grace as inadequate. All of us who begin as sinners should abandon our assumptions as soon as the light of God's view is understood. I thank God for loving us enough to tell us the truth about our condition and right. So true. We are not like God in any way of all. Only the fact that when we believe in Christ, we share Christ's righteousness. And therefore, even though our human abilities are not God, we cannot really depend upon our own righteousness because our, our, our righteousness is like built to rags in God's sight. So we cannot at, at all adhere to God. The only time that we are is to believe in Christ and therefore God which share upon Christ did on the cross and give it to us. So when we are dead on our transgression and sins, that's truth. That's how we all started at. We all are dead in our transgression and sins. And God has made a solution for that by believing in his only true son, Jesus Christ. And by believing in him, we will have life and have life more abundantly. The second from the part of the week. So therefore, we will have our time now with, with prayer. With our, with, we will, he will continue with us with prayer. Thank you, Dave, for those excellent comments. Um, at this time... <laughs> I want to uh, ask, does anyone have any special prayer request? If not, we will pray for everybody individually as God knows the hearts of the hearer. 
thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to come before you and worship and thanking you, Lord, for your many, many blessings, Lord, that many as we go forward, we often take for granted, Lord, uh, our daily, uh, our health, our strength, the fact that we're in our right mind, many of these things that we just seem to flow until we don't have them that go forward so naturally and we don't even recognize your blessings. So thank you, Heavenly Father, for these blessings. Asking prayer, Lord, for our church at large, for our pastor, his family, as we dig in and disseminate the word of the word is truth, uh, that, Lord, you will continue to bless them. And asking, Lord, for prayer, Lord, for those who are sick. I want to mention my brother-in-law, Kenny, and Gail and their family. And uh, I want to mention Dave and his daughter as these things continue, Lord. We're asking continued blessings that you look in continually on their situations as you know them and continue to bless and keep them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm praying also for the church at large. We're talking about the church all over the world that follows this ministry, that they may be blessed and that they may be in humility, in humility, have the humility to go forward with their transformation, uh, redeeming the time, uh, going forward and asking Lord that you will continue to bless them that um, we might have the humility to go forward transforming our minds um, as we continue asking Lord that um, you would continue Lord to bless and keep family in particular, there are things going on, Lord, as you know. All these things we ask that uh, I, I echo the Lord's prayer. He says, sanctify them by, the, by your truth. He says, your word is truth. These things we ask in Christ's loving name, I pray. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Fred and, and Dave. We appreciate your prayers and thoughts. So we're, we're continuing where we left off with our notes. Um, we're, we happen to be in John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they may know, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So in your notes we have these words, the richness of of this prayer is not only found by examining what Jesus said to the Father, but also to step back and see Jesus's perspective. We find this, that his understanding of his role in the plan is confirmation of the plan for us. He is mission-oriented and filled with love's devotion and commitment, which motivated him to fulfill the Father's plan. Through this, the Father would be able to accomplish the goal of the plan 
for all things, which involves us in this most critical age. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That came from Colossians 2, 2 and 3. So what we have is we really have to stop and think as we approach this is that it's not just this you know this is not just us the holy spirit commenting on what he wants to teach us in another area through a prophet but now we have jesus personal prayer to the father and we have that prayer in writing so it is meant for us not only to review but to gain a higher perspective than we have. And if we can see eye to eye with Jesus according to the Father's plan and what he thought it was, then that is, as I said, confirmation for us to know that not only are we on the right path, but that it, it is the plan of the Father. This is, we're praying in, in conjunction, right, in concert with Jesus Christ. Our prayer is the same as his priestly prayer here. So we, we covered these verses, and the next couple of verses are going to be not only Jesus talking about uh, prayer to the Father, but his perspective as the plan unfolds from eternity past. That's how we have to see it, because he's bringing those verses in into play before the Father. How important is that for us to understand? It is gravely important. So let's deal with it. The first phrase was, we'll get to where we left off. I'll quickly get there. We can't redo what we did last week. Now this is eternal life. So we've discussed eternal life in the previous verse where the Father granted the Son uh, to give eternal life to as many as those he had given him. So now we're digging into eternal life a little more. So um, from this is point B. From Jesus' per perspective, as Jesus prays to the Father, he is going to discuss the intimacy that he knows and enjoys. We dealt with some points. Jesus has never been lost, even though God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That does not mean he's lost. We should know that. He was judged. This is part of the plan. Point two, if Jesus is discussing eternal life from his perspective, he is reminded of the intimacy it brings him, fellowship, communion with the Father. We covered this uh, when we talked about what does eternal life mean in the previous verse. But now we're seeing Jesus talk about how that intimacy affects him. And it's important to him. Point uh, three, the intimacy between the Father and the Son has always existed. So we know that they had communion and fellowship even before creation. And it's, it's, I don't think it's just about communion and fellowship when we read John 1, 1 through 3 and John 1, 18. Because Jesus is, it's really about the revelation of the Father's plan. That 
And what we are seeing in creation is the unfolding of the Father's plan. And so it is the consummate thing for us to understand that there, there's the point between the Father and the Son when they planned what they were going to do, and then they did it. They executed it. So we should see it that way. Point four, Jesus loves the Father, is obedient to the Father's plan, knows the Father, trusts the Father, prays to the Father, enjoys the Father, and is one with the Father, and has sacrificed all for the Father. So as we read the Gospels, we can know that the Father is very prominent in Jesus' mind. Well, obviously, it was the Father that was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was doing, he was, Christ was the, the mediator between God and man. We should say is, because he continues to be the mediator between God and man. So we're going to skip down. I know we've covered a lot. We talked about us being Christ's ambassadors, but we're moving down. Uh, that they may know you, the only true God. So know you. Jesus' intimacy with the Father is not only related to salvation and reconciliation, but a closeness to the Father that is only revealed in this church age. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God. It's such a profound verse, except the one who, uh, the one and only Son who is himself God. That's what, I mean, how do you get around that verse? That is something to ponder. So Christ, who is the Word, right? Even though we, we saw in the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, Word itself was God, we saw that. 118 comes after 114, where it says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So then he talks about the Word as the Son, so now, now the Son is in this close relationship with God. He's the only one who, who knows God and has made him known. What does he mean, the only one who knows God and has made him known? He's talking about the mystery, things that have been hidden in God that no one knew about. Well, Christ is saying, I know about it, and I'm the only one who can reveal it. So how can we get to the Father? We can only get to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the importance of it all. So we discussed the, plan, uh, the closeness. This is point B, that closeness is also described in terms of the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. So we just discussed that. And there are scriptures relative to that. And then point C, this plan is realized through Christ fulfilling his mission and the Holy Spirit's coming. This has been Jesus' major point in the discourse. If you look at John 17, 20 through 21, it is about us, right? That once the disciples are the foundation of the church, now he turns to those who will believe on him through their message, right? Through their message. What's their message? It's all about when the Holy Spirit comes and when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit began this new ministry at Pentecost where he has poured out these ministries on every person who believes in Christ. And we see how it develops in Acts. 
but that is the ultimate understanding of the plan right if we don't if we miss this point then that Christ is not just fulfilling the salvation plan but that he is fulfilling another plan that was hidden for and we have documentation for that we cannot ignore it so it's not only relative to the disciples but it's related to us as well we are a part of that john 17 20 through 21 uh, point d the only true god so let's deal with that the father and the father is the only true god does this make jesus and the holy spirit less than god and this is where we sort of concluded i know we we looked at point number one but that's a good question uh the the Jehovah's Witnesses, which I hate to bring them up, but uh, only because it shows the diversity of thought when it comes to this verse, we're the only true God. So they say, oh, so Jesus, he's really not God. Only true God is the Father, or Jehovah, they'll say, which is not accurate at all. This is not the point that Jesus is making at all. So what we're seeing in this is... Point one, first, there is no proper worship and prayer to God unless you are praying to the Father according to his plan. Right? So if you, if you see the only true God as eternal life, right? this is how it is, it's knowing the Father and the Son, then you're going to have to realize that this is how you uh, are to approach God. So there's no, this is my point in John 8.44, the, the, uh, Jesus had a skirmish with the Pharisees, and we covered these verses. And the mystery is really what is at stake here. It's not the only true God from the sense of um, that there is no others who are called God in scriptures and have the nature of God. It is the only plan of the Father, the uniqueness of that plan. As we discovered in John one eighteen, where it says, no one has ever seen God. And, so, and, and then it talks about, but the one who is the Son, who is himself God. So you, got, you can't say this is the only true God, like there's no others who can be God. We already saw that from John one one through 3, <clears throat> and many other verses that we pointed out, where Jesus himself is God, but it, he is now in deference to the Father. And the Father's plan, that's the point. Where it's And Ephesians 3, 8 through 11 talks about where he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Right? So point number two, and this is where we haven't covered. Uh, we, all of this we covered last week. So now here's where we begin. That was all review. The Father's plan is the reason why all things exist. So unless you are oriented to God according to the Father's plan, then you are not properly oriented to God according to true knowledge. So true knowledge is what God has revealed through the scriptures. Here, John 1, 3, look at this. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And so when we read verses like that, they are just profound. I mean, there, there's no 
wiggle room here. You can't say, yeah, but he made some things, or he didn't make other things. Or, you know, no, this is very comprehensive in the way the verse says it. <laughs> through him, all things were made. And now, through him means it's, it's according to the plan. And Christ, part of his role in the plan, I know we like to say, well, it was Christ's role. Well, it was just to die for the sins of the world. Here's a role that Christ has that is according to the plan that is not often spoken about, and that is his role as the creator of all things. That is more relative to the church because we have inherited all things through Christ, through our union with Christ. And the, his role in the creation of all things being over all things and all things being cre created by him and for him. Let's read that in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, here it is. 15. So the Son is the image of the invisible God. So now, even right there, you might say, well, see, the Son is not God. But no, that's not the point. <laughs> this is through the plan of the Father, the unique plan of the Father. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Was the sun is the visible representation of God. Right? Just as it says in Hebrews, right? I'll just read it really quick. Well, put your finger on Colossians 1. We'll come back to it. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. This is Hebrews 1. Through the prophets and in many times and in various ways. But notice the key thing here. God spoke Right. God spoke. If you highlight that word, God spoke, what is that to say? It's to say that God had something to say. How did he say it? Through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. He had dreams and visions and God spoke. But look at verse 2. In these last days, the last days are represented as once Christ came, the first advent of Christ is a part of the last days. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, again, what's the difference between what happened before? He spoke to us through those dreams, visions. He revealed himself uh, in those ways. But now he's saying he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact represent, representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Wow, what a prestigious role that is, that now he is being used of God to speak or to reveal who that person is. Now, Colossians, going back to Colossians, uh, where we were. I told you to put your finger there. Hopefully you have uh, remembered where we were. So I'm going back there myself. So in Colossians 1 15, the sun is the image of the invisible God. It's a lot there in that phrase. He's invisible. God is invisible. You can't see him. You can't know him. We said, how can he be revealed if you can't see him? You can't know him. You can't hear him speak. What? Christ reveals him. He has something to say, right? and he's doing it through the Son. 
He is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn means preeminent. Why? Well, he's the creator, as we said. For in him, all things were created. There it is in Christ, right? He's the one who did it. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. See, now, so why were things created through him? Because he is the image of the invisible God. God, the Father, has something to say. And he did it through creation. He said it through creation and through the person of Christ. I mean, God the Father, he's God. He could have created all things if that was what he wanted to do. He has, certainly has the power to do it. It's not like, oh, well, the Son has the power to do it and uh, and that's why he's the creator. No, God the Father is has the power to create things. He could have been the creator. And God the, God the Holy Spirit has the power to create things. He could have done it, but it was granted to Jesus to have this role, to be the creator of all things. And this part of that is relative to what, what we have in the church and the, the plan overall. So, so this last phrase, all things have been created through him and for him. Now that... There it is. I mean, Christ is the center of the plan of God, the eternal purpose of God. He's the very center, the core of it. If we don't have Christ, we don't have the Father accomplishing his purpose. And it, there's a, so many other ways I could think of saying this. Like it talks about Christ, he is the head of the body of the church, in him we have the fullness of we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way that's Ephesians 1 22 and 23 that's significant when we think about who Christ is and the father's eternal purpose to bring many sons into glory well who are those sons well they are be they are predestined also to be conformed to the very image and likeness of his son right we talk about God's eternal purpose in Ephesians Right, which is Ephesians 3 8, right? Let's go there really quick where it says, um, here it is, uh, this is 3 8 through 11. It talks about according, 11, I'll just skip to it, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, with Christ being the very core of what God wanted to do in terms of his eternal purpose before time began, before creation began, then he is the very center of God's eternity. Without Christ, none of this could have been possible. So uh, these things have been kept hidden in God. Look at verse 9. These things have been kept. This mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. So here, the Father's eternal purpose it is said to be through God, hidden in God, who created all things. But really, so so even though Christ did this, it was through him, we could say it wasn't his idea. But that would really be giving into the metaphor too deeply. So what we could say is, is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all on the same page 
that creation of all things, let's put this plan into effect. So even though the mystery wasn't known until it was revealed after Christ and, and Christ introduced it, and then at Pentecost, it was not known. It was hid in God. But the creation of all things had something to do with it. In other words, God didn't put this plan into action until he decided that we were going to do it. Then when he decided or decreed that this plan was the plan, he put it into action. And then he assigned roles as well. Who got, who got the role of uh, creator? Christ. Who got the role of the one who would reveal the plan that would go to the Holy Spirit? And he, would, he wouldn't glorify himself because he was going to let us know what the mind of Christ was. Because all of these things were deposited in Christ, who in whom all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge resides. So there's so much, when we look at one verse, how much it just explodes uh, to, to encompass all of these things. We're going back to our notes. So point number two in our notes, the Father's plan is the reason why all things exist. And we, 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 I say that because all things would not exist. In other words, unless, unless the mystery is accomplished, right? This, unless this plan exists, God would not have created all things. There, there wouldn't have been any reason for God to create all things. Now, as far as we can know, the only reason God created all things is because of the mystery. It's because of what Christ accomplished and how we are in Christ, and that is the Father's plan. We're the ones that were not known. Christ was known. The salvation was known. Uh, the fact that Christ would rule the earth was even known. Sit down at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's Psalm 110.1. That was revealed. But who? nobody knew we would exist. Nobody understood that. So when we think about creation of all things, we, we never, at least, at least if you don't incorporate this information into your knowledge of creation, then you can't fully understand the reason for why God created all things. And, and, and it's appropriate for us to know the reason he did it because he reveals it to us. Notice he didn't reveal it to anybody else. He reveals it to us. Point number, that was point number two. Point number three, the other members of the Trinity also have the nature of God and are working toward the plan of the Father. So we know that. Uh, we don't have to really demonstrate here that other members of the Trinity are God and are working toward the same plan. Right? They're all on the same page. And let me just say it this way before I talk about these verses. So we, we talk about the Father taking the role as he planned it all. Right? We're talking about the Son as the one who executes the plan and on whom the plan rests. In other words, on the shoulders of Christ. And we are being conformed to the image of Christ and so forth. And then who, the Holy Spirit who looks back to Christ and says, I'm going to reveal everything that is about the plan that Christ knows. I'm going to reveal it to you. 
I'm going to be the one who reveals these things. And you couldn't possibly know these things, not only because they weren't revealed. Uh, nobody ever knew them. No human being ever understood. It was hid in God. You couldn't have known it. These are things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. It, they just were not revealed. So each member of Trinity, but let me just go out on a limb and say it this way. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are really just metaphors. They're all God, and they all made the plan, and they all decided whose role would be according to the plan. They came up with a plan together, and they assigned who, as they communicate the plan to us, how we would properly understand the plan. Well, let's use this Father, Son, and Spirit analogy so that we could reveal the plan to mankind. We could help them understand who we are and what we, what we need to tell them. Just like it says, in the last days he spoke to us. Now he has spoken to us through his son. I think it's not just the Father speaking to us. It's God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit speaking to us. And the Father, Son, and Spirit... I guess what I'm saying is language of accommodation so that we can properly understand something. But for us, for practical purposes, let's use what God intended us to use. We could say it's the Father's plan. That's how we are to understand it. Okay, no problem. I'm just only looking past that to say, well, did Christ not come up with the plan? Did, Christ, did the Holy Spirit not agree with the plan? Did he not contribute? No. Who's assigning the roles? Is it the Father who assigned the roles? No, I think it's all of them together. They're, they're thinking together on this point. So let's, let's go, go back. They're all, all of them have the nature of God. There is none more intelligent than the other. They're all God. So the Father is assigned to be the one who is the planner of the plan, the one who, who came up with, with the, with the plan. The Son is executing the plan. The Holy Spirit is... Re Notice how they work together. We saw John 1, 1 through 3. We don't really have to cover that because we already covered it in the past and we can say, but we're going to go right to Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Now, here's something we, we have to realize through what we call the incarnation or how did... God become a man. Like it says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. How does that work? So in Philippians 2.5, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Okay, all right. So when Jesus was here, how did he understand it? Look at this. Who, being in very nature God, so Jesus Christ, the man who when he walked, the dust kicked up under his feet just like it does under ours. Right? He, he was a human being in every respect. But this person who is in very nature, God, you can't get around that. That's what it says. If you would like to subtract from that, I don't know how you do it. He did not. And then it goes on and says, who did not consider equality with God. <laughs> no. So 
equality with God, you mean the very nature that the Father has, the Son has. We already saw that in John 1.18. Right? It says exactly the same thing. So not only is the Son God, so Jehovah Witnesses, you got to step back. You have not read the scripture properly to say that, oh, only, only God the Father is God, and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Well, they're, they're not God at all. That's ridiculous when you read the corroboration of other scriptures that are there. You can't say that. You just absolutely cannot say that. So God, here in these verses, and with all the evidence that we have presented, it's overwhelming. So it says, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So look, they're humble. All of them are humble. So Christ, in assuming this role, which he's getting ready to tell us, but he's telling you his mindset as he's assuming the role. In Hebrews 10, 5, I believe it is, he says, A body you have prepared for me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do your will, O God. So this is Christ in heaven, you could say, the body's already prepared. What's what's the body? That's the babe in that that Mary has is already ready for Christ to occupy that body. And when that baby is born, the person of Christ is the life that animates that baby, that little baby. The person of Christ is what is the life that animates that body when that baby is born. So, so there, he's in the very nature God did not consider equality with God. Listen, the person who occupied that body has the nature of God. He's God. That's who that person is. But we're going to see what happened. Verse 7. Rather, he didn't say, well, I have prerogatives because I'm God. You know what he said? Rather, he made himself nothing. Now, how do you make yourself nothing? So this is where a lot of people in theology talk about hypostatic union and kenosis and all these theological terms but really this is this is not the same way we look at it right but i just want want you to see this he made himself nothing so when he makes himself nothing how does he do that how does he make himself nothing does he empty himself of his divine prerogatives does he do that because he's god does he stop being God so that he can become man? Is that what he did? No, he cannot stop being God. God cannot be less than what he is. God is a reference to a nature. If Jesus were to take away the nature of God in any respect, in any degree, then it would not be God. God is a nature. God is not a person. But what we find is the person is able to take on a new nature. That's what's going on. So to make himself nothing here is a reference to what goes, what comes beyond that. How do you take subtract by adding? This is what, by taking the... So in other words, he made himself nothing by taking Okay, so now we're going to see what it, what it means. 
he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And a servant here is referring to uh, the second. He is, he is uh, in humility, taking the human nature and submitted himself to God. Right? He was obedient right, to God. So what does that mean? Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In other words, we're talking about the very person of God taking on human nature. So he can't stop being God. So he takes on human nature instead of so so him making himself nothing is a reference to the divine nature compared to the human nature. Now he's still God. And all things are held together by him which we read in Colossians chapter 1. But now he is also by taking on. That's what. So the making himself nothing is a reference to human nature. It does not mean emptying himself of his divine nature, but he takes on human nature. So you can't have divine nature and human nature being merged. That's not a possibility. Because if divine nature and human nature are merged, then neither nature is. Uh, that of itself. In other words, you can't, you take away or add to the divine nature, it is no longer the divine nature. If you take away or add to the human nature, it is no longer the human nature. So what does he do? He continues to keep his divine nature intact. He just takes on another nature. What a novel idea. So the person of God, who was the Word, who became flesh, what did he, how did he do it? He just allowed his person to take on a new nature. And how did he have to come into the world? Through birth, just like we come into the world. So the person who was the Word, who was eternity past, always was God, never was a time when he wasn't God, is able to project his person without the divine nature into the human nature. Now, and when I say without the divine nature, because there is no mixture. If there is mixture, then the natures are destroyed. You can't say Christ is fully man if he is not fully man. He does not have the, the human nature, like we do. You can't say he's fully God if he does not have the divine nature, like the Father and the Spirit do. So that he takes on him this new nature but only his person so now his person has two separate and distinct natures he can think and act now from his human nature where he says i thirst he walks he's getting tired remember at the well he looked he probably looked pretty tired and then he met the woman at the well so said we'll, we'll go to the town and get you some food just rest here just rest here that's a human thing. The fact that Christ died on the cross physically is a human thing. He was put to death. And God can't die. The person of Christ as God, the Word and all that, was always existed. He never could stop existing because he's God. But the person of Christ who is a man, the Son, did die on the cross for us. I'm making, we're, we're still in Philippians. Let's just 
finish it. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature. How did he do it? By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now watch this. Verse 8 sums it all up. And being found in appearance as a man. Now, this is what happened. Now, we know from the divine side of the person of Christ, or who he is, he knew all this because he was part of the plan from the very beginning, before time began, before he created all things. We knew that the Son know, knows all that from God, the Word, all that. He knows, he knew it. But when did the man, Christ Jesus, or I should say the boy, we saw, we saw how he came into the world as a baby. Well, when did he know about who he was? When did, when did he begin to realize who he was? And this is what it says in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man. Well, we didn't find him. It's, it's a reference to him finding himself and, and being found in appearance as a man. In other words, when he realized he was in a human body, as well as I'm in the divine nature, he realized that. What did he do? And what we could stop and ask the question, when did he realize that? And the only thing I can do, I can, I, I'm going to answer the question by saying I don't know, first of all. But I can tell you, that by the age of 12, when he uh, talked to those uh, people in the temple, those priests and such, he already knew it. He already knew it by the age of 12. When before that did he find himself in appearance as a man? When? I don't know. But it would be before he went to the temple at age 12. But when he did find himself in appearance as a man, what did he do? What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. What do we mean? It means he knew what his role was from eternity past. He knew what the Father wanted him to do. He knew what he was supposed to do on earth. And being found in appearance as a man, when he realized, I'm in a human body, I'm born. I'm, but not only am I just born and I'm self-aware, but I'm aware of what I'm supposed to be doing down here. So I could ask that same question of you. When have you realized about who you are in Christ? When did it, come, when did it dawn on you? Certainly probably not when you were 12. <laughs> But, but when you came to understand that you, he chose you in him before the creation of the world, before time began, and that this wisdom was destined for our glory before time began, when did you come to realize who you are and where you are? Now, this is what Christ came to know. Christ came to understand the plan as a man, he already knew the plan from his deity, but now he had to do some catching up in his humanity. Because as a baby, he probably had no conscious. I don't know, babies know they exist, but 
they have to learn, be, become self-aware, under a lot of learning and assimilating knowledge happens with babies. Christ had to, all that had to happen for Christ. And at some point, the same person who was in Christ developed to the point where he understood who his father was. I would say it would have to do with reading the scriptures and coming to know who you are from what is written. And so, so this is what we have in Philippians and being found in appearance as a man. That is the result of all that we read in verses 6 and 7. He, what did he do? He humbled himself, submitted to the Father's plan. Humility. Why did he need to humble himself? Because he knew who he was. In very nature, God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Why? Because he knew that he was accomplishing the plan. He knew what was important when he was here. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, the most horrible death at that time was death on a cross. So what did God do? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place gave him a name, a title that is above every title, every name. At the name of Jesus, this title, this position Jesus has. Now, who's Jesus? He's the person who now has two natures. He is fully God and fully man, and he's one person. This Nestorianism talks about, well, Jesus was two persons. These are all theological things that people have reasoned. You could read it, if you, you could even Google it, that they thought, oh, Christ is two persons. He's one person in his deity, and he's one person in his humanity. But that was rejected. A small number of people tried to propose that, but they were rejected. And so, rightly so, Christ is not two persons. He's one person, but he has two natures. The natures do not spill over. The person spans can span both natures and knowledge and wisdom but the person has limitations in the divine nature and in the human nature you say well what what the limitations does he have in the divine nature he can't be other than what he is he's absolutely righteous he can't be less than righteous he can't uh he can't judge himself he can't sin he can't die there's limitations in the divine nature Certainly, there are limitations in the human nature. I don't have to explain to you what they are. But did one person with limitations in both natures. So, I'm getting back to my notes. And I think we're, we have certainly uh, gone off track a little bit. Just a little bit. But my point was that other members of the Trinity also have the nature of God and are working toward the, the, the Father, right? And the, toward the plan of the Father. We already covered the John 1, 1 through 3, Philippians 2, 5 through 7, and then Acts 5, 3 and 4. This is one of the best scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit as God. Acts 5, 3 and 4. You know the story. P then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus says, I'm going to send you another 
comforter. He was, he was saying by that, I know I am a comfort to you. I know I am a counselor to you. I'm going to send you another of the same kind as me. Another comforter to you. And he, tell, he says who it is. It's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. It, he, he's a person. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not a thing. He is a person. Just because the Greek has the Holy Spirit as a neuter gender, the spirit is neuter, people assume, well, it's a thing. Oh, it's not how it works in Greek. So, and have kept for yourself some of the money you have received from the land, back to four, Acts 5, 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? In other words, you didn't have to lie. You could have just said, here, I'm only going to get part of the land. But you know, you, you wanted to lie. After, and after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Why or what made you think of doing such a thing? And this is what Peter says. He says, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. So the un in the previous verse, he, says you, he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. Then he says you have lied to God. And so this, by inference, very strong inference is to say the Holy Spirit is God. If A is equal to C and A is equal to B, both A, both B and C are equal to A. I mean, <laughs> this is, I mean, if you were not good in math, trust me, I wasn't that great either, but it is to say that by inference that the Holy Spirit is in fact God. He is God. So we got, and there's other scriptures that also testify to the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. You can research them. But I'm only giving you just one for each, just so you can, and the Father's God. I don't have to say that. Ephesians 4, 6, there's one God and Father, Father right? It talks about of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's God, and he's also in us, the Father, we should note. So, so this is important to know. All three of them have the nature of God. The nature of God is nothing like man. Now, I tried to bring a little bit of that out with the thought of the week when we talked about um, our nature is nothing like God. But that's only because of God's righteousness that we definitely do not meet it in terms of our raw human nature from Adam. We don't need it. So the other members of the Trinity also are God. That's important to note because they're all working for the same plan. And uh, we don't have a multiplicity of gods like, you know, um, Hinduism. You know, Islam says there's one God, but they don't have the same one God that we have. We have one God who is expressed in three persons. Each of those persons have the same nature of God. So Hinduism is like, oh, you have a God for this. There's a God for that. And there's a God for the other thing. And they can go on and on. Anything that's good in their life or that they see as positive, they will say there's a God for it. There's a God who's over that. And you somehow can see some of that in Catholic thinking. They say, well, this is the saint of so-and-so who is... If you pray to this saint, 
then he will give you good that. Or if you pray to this saint, he will give you good this. Uh, you will see some of that. And none of that is so. There's only three. First of all, we only are instructed to pray to the Father, not to any saints. Not to any saints. Pray to the Father. And it is through Jesus Christ and for his sake that we can pray in the first place because of what he did is that why we even have a right to address God in prayer, to come boldly to the throne of grace. So, the only, this is it, right? This is, this is the only plan there is. This is point number four. Uh, there is. There is the entire God that is working toward that end. Uh, what about us is what I say. What, what end are we working toward? This is it. There is no other plan. I know there's a lot of religions in the world. And people in the world think, well, it's narrow-minded for uh, you to think that everybody would just believe in Christ, that Christianity is the only way. That's narrow-minded. You should be able to see that. <laughs> but in reality, God is able to reach any person and just because you're living in this country does not mean you're automatically going to believe in Christianity. We've got plenty of unbelievers in this country. Plenty of unbelievers. Uh, we don't have to go there. It is not about what religion you were born in or what religious training you had. It's about what your response is as God begins to try to enlighten you. You can resist or you can humbly Allow God, the Holy Spirit, to reveal the gospel to you. That's it. That's really all it is. So my question is, there's only one plan. And every one of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are working toward that end. What about us? And it's 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23. 1 Corinthians 3, which we have read, but not in this light. 21 through 23. So then... You know, the Corinthians were boasting about human leaders. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, some followed, followed Peter. And some said, well, we follow Christ, so we are definitely right. But they were in the same boat as the other ones, arguing, fighting, you know, maligning and judging each other. And this was a mess. And Paul came. He said, i got to straighten out this mess because I was the one who came to give these guys the gospel. Others came behind me and build, built on what the foundation had already been laid. But then there were people who had developed factions and said, we're of Apollos, so we think he's the best. In fact, everybody should be thinking the way we think. And they fought the Corinthians. What arrogance, right? So this is what verse 21 says. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. That's enough, that's enough of that. And he had already told them, uh, you know, about how everybody will be judged. The ministers will, if they did what was right or if they do according to the truth, then they will be rewarded. Don't you worry about that. But don't, don't judge them that way. No more boasting about human leaders. All, notice this. All things are yours. So now, this is not some super mature believers who had gone all the way like Moses to the mountaintop or like Daniel. This is the Corinthians. 
Gentiles who were arguing and fussing and fighting. They were arguing about everything, about who baptized them. Oh, well, you, if your baptism wasn't by so-and-so, well, you need to re be rebaptized. You know what Paul said in, in chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians? He said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. <laughs> just, I'm, he just threw his hands up. He says, I'm, I'm so glad that I didn't baptize you, any of it. But then he says, well, I did baptize a couple. He goes on to say, but the point that he's making is a point of frustration. And there's a spiritual frustration about the attitude of the Corinthians. When? Why, why did he have such frustration about them? Because of this. Because all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. There it is. Now, why would you say that? Why would you say that? How could Paul write those words to the Corinthians? Now, I want to just read, if you read, look at the first part of the Corinthians, Corinthians 3, 1, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? One says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Paulus. Are you not hum mere human beings? What after? And then he goes into this. But notice, the Corinthians were not at the top of the spiritual ladder. They were at the bottom. They were saved, yes, but they were at the bottom. But notice, because of the sovereign grace of God, he says, all things are yours. And he mentions everything there is. Not just those apostles, Apollos, Cephas, right? God, the whole plan is designed around us. And why? Because, and you are of Christ. And see, this you are of Christ makes the whole reasoning, the sense of it is that you belong to Christ. Because you belong to Christ, all things are yours. Because you belong to Christ, you're in a position where you are raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is part of your heritage and your destiny. You may not realize it. You're sitting around here arguing about every little thing, but you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So there it is. That is the reasoning as to why all things are yours because of our union, because anybody who is in Christ. Now, we already said who Christ was. <laughs> he is he's a person who has both the divine nature and he has the human nature, not without not with mixture. They're not combined. They're separate. But he has a consciousness in two natures. That's unprecedented. No creature. Humanly speaking. Is this true for? No person. I like what it says that he's the monogenes. Well, it could be translated in John 3.16. The one and only son. Or the only begotten son. 
or the unique son. How is he unique? Because he's the only person in human history or angelic history or in divine history that has this nature. That he is one person, but he has two natures, as we just talked about. And you are now joined to this person. You are joined to this person. I know I'm getting over my skis here. It's, we're getting long in the time. And we didn't get far. But that's okay. Because we're going to continue these thoughts next week. So it's not like we're going to stop. And as, if God's willing, we'll be back next week and talk more about this. I think it's important for us to make sure not only that we understand these things, but we can orient these things to the written word because your word is truth it's not what i say but it is the word if we can't find this or establish that the word is most certainly talking about these things then we, we shouldn't be talking about them. so i'm just going to see if we can remember this this is only this is the only plan where we said and i said are we working toward it that end. What about us? And we, we quoted. And if we looked at the Corinthians passage, we're, we're right there as well. It applies to us. Right? This, this is the only plan. This is it. Are you working toward that? People who are immersed and infatuated with Israel, I will tell you, is they are not working according to this plan. Where I'm saying, what about us? What should we be thinking about? It should be this. And we're going to close this section out, point number five, and I say remember this verse. Uh, this is John 5, 23. John 5 and 23 says that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Wow. That verse. We're going to have to come back to this verse. I just want you to remember this verse in light of what we had already said about who the person of Christ is. That he is a unique person. Nobody could, there's never going to be another person like Christ. But when we say, oh, Christ is just a mutation, is that what he is? No, he's not a mistake. It was a plan. This is a goal. There's a reason for Christ to one person with two natures. We're going to get to that more as we continue in our journey through his prayer. But this verse, all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. That, for, for Christ to say that and for the Father to acknowledge that that is true, is astounding. This is a man we're talking about saying this. But he's not just any man, is he? Yeah. He comes uh, from a different perspective. He has, he's fully man. He was born into the human race, but we saw in John 1 how that develops. 
And now, how does the father view the son? I just am curious. What does he see? How does he see the son? Honor. Not just any honor. Not like the Pharaoh uh, honored Joseph. He says, everybody better look up to Joseph. If anybody looks up to Joseph and does not respect him like they respect me, that's one thing. But Joseph really wasn't the Pharaoh. And he knew his place wasn't the Pharaoh. So he couldn't, you couldn't treat Joseph the same way as the Pharaoh, but he was like, you better listen to him because I'm placing the responsibility of Egypt and the world in his hands. You better listen to Joseph. But there was clearly known that Joseph was not the Pharaoh. But for for this, verse 23, all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Wow. Just think about how we honor the father. Then he's saying, that's the way we honor the son. We'll we'll talk more about the nature of Christ and um, how he is praying to the father next week. But we can think about what was said here and the verses that we covered. Hopefully these things will resonate with you as we continue on in our journey through Christ's perspective in his prayer to the Father. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We're glad. We're just happy, Father, that you've included us in your eternal purpose. While the world may not have known who we are, but we know what you have made of us. We know what your eternal purpose is for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We are seeking, Father, to know you better. And by knowing you, we, we mean we want to come to know the hope to which you have called us, the glorious inheritance that you have invested in the saints. Thank you so much for choosing us in him before the creation of the world. Father, I pray for word is truth as we are challenged with some verses that will require us to dig deep and, 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 and really think about all that you have told us, to put it all together. Father, as we do, we, we know that your spirit will continue to lead and guide us into all truth. We thank you for this church and the, the outlet that we have to discuss and to, to mull over these things, to, to allow the Spirit to teach us as we humbly come to your word. Thank you so much for this church and we pray for those wherever they are in this world who uh, are believers, who are saved and they are in Christ. They are brothers and sisters wherever they are. We pray that they will come humbly to the knowledge of the truth through the leading of God the Holy Spirit in this manner. All of this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.